countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Stronger than a whale, he can swim yeah. anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. The double submariner, prince of the deep, so beware you deadly demons. <laughs> Lord Namor of Atlantis is the prince of the deep. <laughs> you need to close out the show with the real one, because nobody's going to care about the rights to that. It's only 20 seconds long. Oh, that's the best! Welcome back to The Last Comic Shop. I'm the host of the most, Andy Larson, joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith, as always! And I hope that you loved our rendition of the 60s Namor, the Submariner theme song from that great and wonderful cartoon series that, if you've never watched, is awesome. I love it. I I was going to say... That pulls about as deep as the seas in Atlantis. <laughs> but it's great. It's great. It's based on all that those those awesome Silver Age comics. That Marvel superhero show was one of the, the first animated Marvel show out there, even before the 60s Spider-Man. And if you're wondering why we're singing that, it's because Namor plays a key role in the movie that we're going to be reviewing today. Yeah, he does. We're doing Wakanda forever. And I was fighting with Chad before the beginning of this recording because he said that the draw wasn't the fact that Namor's in this. That's right. right. The draw is how are you going to make a movie about Black Panther when Black Panther in real life died? Very tragically. That's true. Everybody went to see it this past weekend. Sure, that was the number one question on their lips. But we are going to have that movie review later on the show. Because we're not a movie podcast, we're a comic book podcast. And uh, as always, we like to bring all of our last comic shop fans a comic book featuring some of the characters that might have appeared in this movie that they might have just saw that they're waiting for the review of. So I decided to pick a Black Panther book. And in, in doing so, I was lucky enough to be kind of blessed with a really great choice. Because Penguin, that great publishing house decided a, a couple months ago to put out these really great collections of Spider-Man and Captain America and Black Panther in both softbound and hardbound collections, collecting some of their greatest stories. And these are awesome. I have the hardcover for Black Panther, and it is gorgeous. And it includes which issues, J.A.? Fantastic Four, 52 and 53, which is the first appearance of the Black Panther, as drawn by Jack Kirby and written by Stan Lee. And then you get the entire Panther's Rage, which is Jungle Action, issues 6 through 21. Yeah, it's actually kind of two different stories, as we'll get to in just a second. There's this Panther Rage story that happens all in Wakanda, and I think that runs from like 6 to like 18. For folks that have watched the Black Panther movie, this is the first appearance of Killmonger, and he tries to take over Wakanda and all that. But again, one of the major reasons I picked this is because it is really a great collection to give to folks that are just kind of dabbling in comics, because you can pick it up at like major bookstores as opposed to going to a comic shop or whatever. And it did make me kind of think, guys, since Penguin has released these really, really gorgeous, especially the hardbounds, those look really nice. What other Marvel characters might you want to see 
And what kind of runs would you include with those books? Uh, we'll start off with Chad. Which character would you like to see? Well, I was going to say, before we go into it, what's really neat about these uh, Penguin Classic books is they don't always necessarily stick to, like, longer runs. Like, the Captain America book jumps all over the place. It starts with the original Kirby and Simon stuff, and then you get some of the Stan and Jack stuff, and then you get some of the Jim Steranko, some John Romita Captain America, like... They can bounce around a character's history to give you some of the notable impressions of that character. The other thing I'm going to mention about these is the covers, as impressive as a, a production as they are, because they have the gold-leafed paper, and they have these fancy hardback covers. Uh, they really could use dust jackets, because all they do is pick up fingerprints. <laughs> as soon as you pick up one of these books. But anywho... So if I were to pick a character that wasn't already done because they did Spidey, they did Cap, they did Black Panther in their first three, I'm the resident Daredevil guy. And so to give a representation of Daredevil, I would go with issue one, gives you the origin, gives you the yellow costume. I would go with the Wally Wood issues, which Wally Wood starts with the yellow costume, and then he brings in the red costume, and then he quits midway through a story writing the book and leaves Stan Lee to finish it off. Stan Lee... Gives them the backhanded compliments. It's fun to watch that happen. And then I will skip ahead 150-some issues and just pick up with Daredevil with Frank Miller. 168 to 181, the, the, the big moments of that Electra saga. Right. You wouldn't include, like, uh, Born Again, or is that, do you think Born Again is a separate book? Well, I, I would love to include that. I didn't include any and Ascent to your John Romita Jr. stuff either. But I'm trying to keep it, it in my head. The rules are it has to be like 25 issues or under. Okay. I mean, if you can fit born again, fit born again. But like, this is the stuff you need to know about Daredevil. All right. Well, Jay, what's your pick? I'd go with X-Men and, and I'd probably do X-Men number one. And maybe I think it's five or six when the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants first rears their head. And then I would skip the rest of the first hundred issues of X-Men because it's not that great and go straight to what made X-Men X-Men, which was uh, giant size X-Men and, and the new characters coming in. After that, uh, dabble in some Dark Phoenix against the Hellfire Club. I don't think you could do the whole run, but, you know, get the, the important issues. And then uh, Days of Future Past. And I guess I don't want to end it with Jim Lee. I really don't. Oh. But... I don't know how to get from Days of Future Past to the rest of... I don't know. I like it too, but I'd have capped it with uh, God Loves Man Kills, Forget Ghibli Forever. Oh, yes, yes. Good call. God Loves Man Kills. That's what we put in there. Done. There you go. I would pick Fantastic Four. I think that's uh, a, a no-brainer, and I, I would just stick to the Stan Lee and Jack Kirby stuff. I would just cherry-pick some of the best stuff out of that first 100 issues. You know, jump around from one to first appearance of dr doom and five and maybe dr doom and namor teaming up in six and then i don't know the galactus saga and, and i'd really have to think about that i don't think we have enough time because we do have to get into this week's read pile review yes we are going to be covering this black panther series that were included in the penguin collection and as uh, jay pointed out some of them come from the fantastic four other come from jungle action which was Don McGregor's baby. Uh, I first read his stuff on, I think, Kill Raven. And then I found this. And uh, I was really intrigued by this because, again, this is one of the first continual storylines in comics. 
you know, 15, 16 issues. We're going to call it an arc and everything. And this is that Panther's Rage. The collection starts with some preamble stuff there. And then we get into the Fantastic Four issues 52 and 53 by Stan Lee, uh, Jack Kirby, and Jolton Joe Sinnott on inks. And then we get into the Don McGregor story. Where the first three issues, he's working with uh, Rich Buckler and Klaus Jansen. And then you sprinkle in an issue or two of Gil Kane. And then eventually, Billy Graham takes over. Not that Billy Graham. Yeah, that's an interesting name to share with somebody, I guess. Right, and honestly, like he had flown under my radar. I was unaware of Billy Graham, the comic creator. But he was the first black man to work on Black Panther in a consistent nature. Yeah. So that's a big deal. But he basically carries uh, Jungle Action, which had started as a reprint book. And in the first issue, issue number six, there was still a backup with, like, Lorna the Jungle Lady. Yes. And then uh, Don McGregor talks about it where, like, he started filling in back matter. And it made the other creators mad because he was basically giving Marvel pages for free. But he didn't want more parts of Lorna the Jungle Girl. You know, he was ashamed of that stuff. Like didn't think that belonged being printed in uh i want to say it was 1973 is when all this started yeah about 1973 so, i think it ran from that till 75 maybe but there's a lot of interesting stories that come up about this uh jungle action again there's the story about black panther versus the clan uh which is way ahead of its time so let's get that 10 cent synopsis from ja I mean, you can you can gloss over those two issues of Fantastic Four. What happens really in the rest of the Don McGregor run? I can address those two issues. Black Panther is uh, created, found, whatever his his origin story is told a bit in the Fantastic Four. He shows up, and uh, everyone is amazed that not unlike the first movie, Wakanda has all this money and power and technology that they didn't know existed. Uh, then we get into the Don McGregor run, and it is a Black Panther that has been abroad and has come back to Wakanda. And while he's been abroad, there's been this sort of fomenting of that he is an absent king. And why does he get to lead Wakanda when he's not even here? And not only that, he brought this, this jive woman with him back from the other world that she doesn't belong in Wakandan society, uh, which, you know, plays on all these real and and imagined stereotypes and while he's been gone killmonger has kind of been fermenting rebellion among all the tribes within wakanda and what happens is then black panther is denied being able to take his secret heart herb juice thing to make him strong so over the course of what is two years he is beaten down by all these Things, be it Tyrannosaurus Rex or Venom with two M's and Malice, the only cool character I thought was in there. And Killmonger himself, who is a great concept, but just, I think, needed a better costume. His creature design let him down on this one. Long story short, he goes through the trials of Hercules across these many issues and and ultimately has to be helped out by a kid. Yeah. To beat Killmonger. He doesn't even do it himself. Well, 
It's literally, it was such, it's, I, I don't know, spoilers, by the way, I don't want to get into my review right away, but it was such a letdown to go from a panel where Black Panther is being held up over Killmonger's head to, like, the next panel on the next page. They're falling off the cliff because the little kid did, a like, a elbow to the back of Killmonger. Uh, ah, it's a metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I mean, Killmonger yeah. killed his daddy. I thought it was poetic. You know, that kid got his his revenge. I do want to start off with my initial thoughts by saying, like, uh, Don McGregor wrote this great interview, which is actually in the Penguin collection, as well as I think it's in the Marvel Masterworks, among other places. And he talks about, like, all the thought processes he had, how he fought against editorial mandates. Hey, why don't you put the Avengers in this book? Where are the folks, you know, from other nationalities? I, I don't want to say it. Book, And he's like, they wouldn't show up in Wakanda. Okay, we're telling a Wakanda story. The Avengers wouldn't show up there. And nor would white people. Let's just say it. So Don McGregor really did stand firm in saying he was telling a story from beginning to end about Black Panther and the society and the culture of Wakanda. Uh, they kind of left him alone for a long time, I guess until he started putting Black Panther against the Klan, and then he was just like, no, we're... I was going to say, yeah, he had the freedom of having a book that wasn't that popular. And because he had a book that people didn't care about, it was taken over, it used to be reprints. Like, he didn't even want to do Black Panther initially, he said in that interview, but it was just a matter of he didn't want them to keep reprinting these white people in the jungle stories and so he just ends up getting assigned that book and you know nobody cared enough to check to see what he was doing so he was left to get some quality work out there yeah well i will say this i thought there were editorial mandates to be very honest uh somebody came down to don mcgregor's office puffing that big cigar and said you know it would be great if black panther had to fight some sort of giant animal in every single <laughs> yes uh, it doesn't matter what it is. A Tyrannosaurus Rex, Pterodactyl, a giant snake, a, a, a crocodile with leeches in its mouth. That there you go. On that note, Gil Kane drew all the dinosaur covers because Gil Kane likes drawing dinosaurs. That's it. There you go. <laughs> he was fortunate enough to have some really brilliant artists do these issues of Jungle Action. I think, honestly, that's why it holds up so, so very well. These artists... Man, they were hitting it out of the park. Whether it was Gil Kane, whether it was Billy Graham, whether it was Rick Butler. I, I will say I love Billy Graham the most. Yeah, I think you can see why it's a, considered a seminal story for the Black Panther as a whole. I think it's better than some of its parts. It's really hard to get through the sort of Black Panther dinosaur hunter bits when, when Wakanda becomes the Savage Land. I was like, where's Turok? See around the corner? <laughs> I like that you've got this overarching storyline, but didn't feel like the X-Men, where if you pick up one issue, you can't enjoy it because you're so confused about the backstory. There's a story being told within the issue. You know, if he's fighting Venom, or he's going up against the White Gorilla, or he's, yes, fighting various giant dinosaur monster-type things. You can enjoy that story without having to be sort of, okay, I missed the last five issues, so I don't know the whole palace intrigue bit. 
which was going on underneath the surface. And the art is what made it. If the art's not as good as it is, I think I would have struggled. It would have been a, a bit of a chore to get through. I agree with you guys. You have this beautiful uh, Billy Graham art. He was doing these Steranko-style title pages. The letters are part of the art, and it's, it's worked in, and it's really beautiful stuff. But then uh, a lot of times, I don't think McGregor would let the art tell the story. He was too intent on putting his purple prose and all the nooks and crannies of everywhere to the point where, like, this is my first uh, go through reading the Panther's Rage. And, like, it had been built up for me, like, over time. Like, you know, it's like seeing The Matrix on DVD after everyone had seen it in the movie theater. I'm like, oh, this is it. Like, this guy talks way too much. He needs to let the art breathe because you had beautiful layouts. And the other big critical note I'll say is uh, the transitions were hard. There'd be times where you would go from one scene immediately to another one. And I'd be like, what the heck? He did not like to transition and be like, meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, like, give me some clues where we're going and like, what's just happened? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I, I have mixed feelings about this series. This is like the third time that I've read it. And every single time I read it, I'm like, is this going to kick into the next gear for me? And I won't lie, at times, it was a slog because he is very verbose. Tons and tons of little text boxes when you do just want to look at the art. He's doing some things with this series that I applaud him for. It's just, I don't know if they were done the best. Like, I like all the subplots about, you know, the the intrigues of the Wakandan court second-guessing all of the decisions he's making in this war against Killmonger and, you know, their disappointment with the fact that they brought Monica uh, from the States and she's an outsider. Like, I like all that stuff. I don't know. There just seemed to be something disjointed about all of those little subplots. There's one where, like, Monica tries to take some person to get a vaccination or something. And again, I get it. I, I understand why these things are there. They, they, they do add color. They do add nuance. They do explain some of Wakandan society and the kind of tribal versus technological anachronistic. I don't know how to, what's the term, guys? Like, um, Well, yeah, because you have the technology aspect of the Wakanda culture, and then you have the traditional aspects yeah. of the culture and, you know, some things that people aren't ready to accept. Right found myself trying really hard to care and i was just like, ah man i don't get back to the dinosaurs i like the dinosaurs to be honest yeah well there are plenty of great action scenes in here i i wish there was a different creative team either you stick with don mcgregor or you stick with billy graham you know give me an author who would let the art speak for itself a little bit more than don mcgregor would do or give me an artist that was a you know, a little bit more willing to give over to the words, you know, as opposed to what, what was happening. But uh, at the end of the day, you have to look at this, though, from the historical context. and Understand this is coming out in 1973. I mean, we're coming up on 50 years here. And there are so many uh, important things that are going on that, like, today we might see as a little bit clunky or sometimes it's a little preachy and sometimes... It's a, it stumbles a little bit, but it also was a huge deal that it was happening. Coming out yeah. of Marvel, one of the big two companies at that time. It, it was just surprising to me. Oh, it's mixing in references to, uh, oh, not Shaft. No, there is a reference to Shaft. 
It's like, Chichala, your Isaac Hayes get up, don't make you John Shaft. <laughs> there you go. I mean, if you wanted to have a soundtrack to listen to while you're reading this, just throw on the Watt Stack soundtrack. And look at all the 90s names that are cribbed from this story. He had Venom. He had Lord Carnage, precursor to Don Carnage from uh, Tailspin. Before the malice in the palace, you just had malice. I think that's actually the other reason why it's never kicked into second gear for me. Killmonger took a bunch of folks up to some secret mountain and got bathed by some meteorite. And they all got weird, goofy powers. Maybe they were trying to build a, a uh, <laughs> yes, green, furry-faced... Weird dude with giant teeth and mustache. I'm distracting Andy with a picture of King Cadaver, which oh. we're recording this before the movie review. If King Cadaver is in the movie, I'm going to lose my beans. <laughs> so, so you got this Panther's Rage story, but at the same time, then after that series ends, then you get into Black Panther versus the Clan. Let's take a couple seconds to talk about that. Boy, was it uncomfortable to read at times? This stuff could still be happening today, and nothing's really changed. Heck, yeah. Uh, to go into specifics, there's that supermarket scene where Black Panther's helping the old lady get the, the cat food from the top, but then the police come in and accuse Black Panther of starting trouble, and that old lady ends up throwing cat food at Black Panther. Where the heck, old lady? He was fighting, like, two folks that were trying to kill Monica. Like, it hit too close to home in this day and age. But at the same time, it doesn't really go anywhere. It's not like Superman versus the Klan. He doesn't like dismantle the Klan. I, I hate to say it, he kind of just escapes from them. Uh, well, he does get crucified and lit on fire and runs around taking out the Klan. And that's some great Billy Graham art where he Heck like, yeah. swings his legs up and breaks the cross right at the top. Then uses it to attack the clan members with their burn own burning cross. It's great stuff. Yeah, and it's, just don't think too much about it. You had that whole other group, the Dragon Circle, that just kind of disappear after an issue and a half. Yeah, why were they there? Why uh, were they there? I feel like that's one of those things. If you re you read the back matter too, you find out that Don McGregor's personal life at this time is just nightmarish he's dealing with a divorce he's you know gonna get kicked off the book and sales are down and all that other stuff and so you, you feel for the guy because he was somebody who was trying to do good and trying to get his messages across but i guess having the clan of the book shot down sales yeah. to the point where he ends up getting removed not not soon after that got dark really quickly <laughs> oh yeah well one thing that's not rags and tatters is uh our rating so jay what is our rating scale for this week so in honor of what became a ongoing theme throughout this story arc, one out of four jump cuts. <laughs> one moment you're, you're fighting over a pit of magma. The next moment you awakened and you're on an icy plane and wolves are attacking you. What the heck? I had no idea what happened. Yeah, he got hit over the head and then he was dragged. Halfway across the world. Wakanda feels like Mongo from Flash Gordon. It's like every single ecosystem exists within, I don't know, 200 square miles. No, according to the map, it's not very big. You look at like the all of Wakanda. It looks like the size of, I don't know, a small town. <laughs> it's got all the ecosystems. Lava pits, steamy jungles, the savage land. It's all there. Anyways, one out of four jump cuts. Chad, what are you saying? I'm going to say 2.75 jump cuts. 
I wanted to like this more than I did. And there are definitely uh, reasons why I can understand folks singing its praises. We've talked a lot about the Billy Graham art and how that's beautiful. The Don McGregor writing, I don't think, fits my personal preferences. This really felt like homework at a certain point to get through all of the Panthers' rage. So many words there, and it's like, buddy, just let the art talk a little bit. Just take a step back and give that art a chance to breathe. Because uh, he had such great artists. He had Rich Buckler. He had Gil Kane. These weren't people that didn't know what they were doing. But uh, at the end of the day, there there were those jump cuts that I'd be like, what is going on? Or like uh, little inconsistencies and like that, uh, the KKK story. There's one scene where they talk about somebody hitting him with his shotgun when the guy's holding a pistol. And I'm like, ah, as much as editorial was letting him do his thing. Maybe somebody could have stepped in and be like, hey, why don't we look at some of these finer details or, you know, work on these transitions a little bit. So, you know, as a product of its time, probably would have scored this higher, you know, if I had read it earlier. But this is like coming to that blockbuster movie after everybody else has seen it and be like, oh, this is what that is. (laughs) It it just left me wanting a little bit more. I'll go next. I think this is a solid three. Uh, I might even give it a 3.25 just for the Penguin collection. I'm not going to say that it needs a good dust jacket. I'm just going to say, like, you should pick these up in hardback, man. These are gorgeous. That gold leaf paper, beautiful. And again, it's got these great Fantastic Four stories that we barely even talked about. The first appearance of Claw, even though he's not Claw at the time. He's Ulysses Claw, so he didn't get his sound powers yet. But he does have, like, that little arm cannon thing. And it's always crazy to think about all those awesome ideas that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were like putting back to back to back. You're talking like this was coming a Galactus followed by this man, this monster, then into Black Panther. Just going crazy, those two. Stan and Jack's stories are great, but also the fingerprints are forever, Andy. The fingerprints are forever. They don't go away. Well, one other thing that didn't go away was, you know, my general enjoyment of the art. And I can say that I would put Billy Graham's work in the same category as Neil Adams. Honestly, his layouts, his attention to detail, gorgeous stuff. So if no other reason, you should read this for the awesome art. Get to the dinosaur issues. Those are fun. I like the dinosaurs. J.A.? So I think I'm more along Chad's line of thinking. Uh, I'm going to give it like a 2.75, but then elevate it to 3 for the actual presentation and the collection and the pricing on this, too. So this isn't put out at your omnibus ninety to one hundred and twenty-five dollar range. Now, I mean, it's cover priced at fifty dollars, but I think you can find them discounted twenty twenty-five dollars on Amazon or, or wherever you buy your books these days. I liked uh, in the early issues you had these little like map of Wakanda and you had the uh, an overhead view of the the palace where T'Challa's bedroom was and the throne room and and the commissary. One thing that I noticed is that they didn't have any toilets. His bathroom had two sinks and a giant circular whirlpool tub, but no toilet. I don't know where they're going to the bathroom in Wakanda. As much as I love the art, I felt like sometimes the storytelling aspect of it was a little uneasy. Where, like, I would be confused of where to read and where to go on the page. Yes. Am I going right to left? Am I going left to right? Am I going left down and then up to the top right down? Am I going four corners? Mm. That extra little, like, ah, you're making me work too hard for this. Like, ah, it just drove me a little bit crazy. But the art is beautiful. Yes. The art is magic. 
<laughs> one thing that's also magic is the fact that we'll be back uh, after these commercial breaks, like magic, with our recommendations as well as potentially a movie review. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Vale of is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Mott, and here at Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern, or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. Hazel always knew there was something special about her cat, Mooney, but she's still shocked when Mooney opens his mouth to tell her he's just had a vision. An ancient evil has awoken after centuries of sleep, and only one man can stop it, the legendary warrior, Beowulf. Unfortunately, it's been over a thousand years since he slayed a dragon, and he's been reincarnated as this guy. His name is Victor, and he's more unemployed millennial slacker than mighty warrior. Go to monarchpublishing.net for a free sample comic. And welcome to the Capsule Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I'm your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels have to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals, roundtable discussions with passionate fans, and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can also check out our website, www.thecaptionlife.com, to find out where you can listen to us, a list of all of our episodes, and where you can find us on social media under the user name at Caption Life. You'll get a new episode from us every week, so hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it's now time for recommendations. Yes, this holiday season, there's a lot of great places where you can buy comic books for your loved ones. That's not my recommendation, though. Uh, my <laughs> recommendation is actually a Doctor Strange book. It came out in that great series of graphic novels that were released in the 80s, primarily under Jim Shooter's reign. He was trying to get stuff out into those direct markets now that the comic book shops were a big thing. So you had great stories like the death of Captain Marvel and previously mentioned uh, God Loves Man Kills and, 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 and just some wonderful books. Uh, and one of them was written about Doctor Strange. So those folks that are listening to this because they love the MCU, Doctor Strange is one of those key members of that universe. And you can pick up a great graphic novel uh, called Doctor Strange Shambhala. It was written by one of my favorite comic book writers, J.M. DeMattis, uh, and it was drawn beautifully by Dan Green. I know on this podcast that we throw around the term painterly style sometimes, but this is true painting like this is wonderful stuff from dan green it almost kind of reminds me of that fantastic four full circle that's currently all the buzz from alex ross it's just such an interesting style the story's kind of goofy he's going up to honor the death of the ancient one or it's like the anniversary of the ancient one's passing and so he's there when he finds out that he's supposed to go on this quest to basically destroy the world that can usher in a new age for humanity. He has to go through all these trials, and he's second-guessing himself, and at one point, he uses this awesome spell to make thousand of him so he can have sex with tons of ladies. 
that turn out to be just stone statues at the end. So. Oh, whatever it takes to get your rocks off, I guess. Ah, well, I'm not going to say I got my rocks off with this particular graphic model, but I did enjoy it. Uh, the scripting and the uh, art, just great stuff. So you can find it, pick up Doctor Strange Shambhala. All right, Jay, you're up next. All right, so I'm going to recommend some more Black Panther if you didn't get enough or you want a bit more modern take on the Wakandan hero. I'm recommending Black Panther, A Nation Under Our Feet, Volume 1. This is back from, I think, 2015. ta Coates just won a whole, like, everything in the world for, for nonfiction came in as the writer. And Brian Stelfreeze doing the art, Lauren Martin on the colors telling a very interesting Black Panther story. Not dissimilar to Panther's Rage. Panther has uh, gone back to Wakanda, a Wakanda that is coming apart at the seams. There are these uh, insurgent groups that have come into powers and are fighting to take over Wakanda. There's this woman uh, who's using mind control to basically channel people's anger and rage into these violent outbursts. And then you have this underlying storyline. Uh, you've got some Dora Milaje, an ex-Dora Milaje woman escaping and stealing some technology so she can go and free her sister who's been held captive by some of these rebels. And then they go on a, a, a spree of like running around Wakanda, freeing people from from being held by these uh, the, the rebellion and, and T'Challa's sister. Is, is like stuck in the limbo area she might be dead she might not be really interesting stuff the whole time it, it's not dissimilar as i said it's t'challa sort of wrestling with being a king and being the leader and you know what makes you the leader just because you're a hereditary and descendant and we're not into all that what happened to democracy damn it so very cool, interesting stuff. All told, really well done by Tanahisi Coates. So that's my recommendation. All right, Chad, what is yours? Okay, so I am going to bring it back to the Penguin Classics collection. And one of the things that I don't think we stressed enough about these Penguin Classic collections is one of the goals of these books are to legitimize comic books in the American fictional pantheon for generations comic books have been disrespected like to the point like that's why stan lee's name was stan lee instead of stanley lieber because he always expected to go out and write the great american novel where he would use his real name so he came up with the, the nom de plume of stan lee but this is a, an attempt to get some of the best some of the most culturally relevant stories out there and so the black panther one as much as the story I wasn't as big on, I understand the importance of it. I understand why it's there. And then also my recommendation is the Captain America Penguins Classic Collection. I alluded to it earlier. It's My copy has all the fingerprints on it. But it's uh, <laughs> Jack Kirby, uh, Joe Simon, Stan Lee, Jim Steranko, Jazzy John Romita. It's got a foreword by Gene Loon Yang where he talks about his brother and taking his brother's comics and like what Captain America means to him punching nazis uh hitler shows up uh, red skull shows up you get batrock the leaper uh you get all those fun things and all that bombast from all the jack kirby stories that you know made captain america great and so i, I just think these are wonderful representations of the characters and it's a mission statement 
that I really care about. Like, as somebody who's super into comic books, they haven't gotten the respect they deserve. And you have Penguin saying, no, we're going to take these books. We're going to put them out in this really beautiful presentation. You know, and the coloring, we haven't talked about the coloring as opposed to the original issues. Like, I still prefer the original issues with the dot matrix coloring. But this, I think, is even better than some of the things they've done with some of the omnibuses and some of the Marvel Masterworks. They don't go overboard yes. trying to recolor things. Right. It is a little more muted. It's kind of a nice mix uh, for those folks that want a little bit more recoloring, but don't want it to look like really flashy. The reds aren't super red and the blues aren't super blue. They're very muted like you would on a real page. So, yeah. Don't think they look like the originals because they don't. Like, they're not printed on that terrible paper that we used to love to get comic books on. But uh, if we're not going to get that terrible paper, which is what I would prefer, this is a- an excellent option. And it's just, there's so many great stories in here. You get the Cosmic Cube stuff. You get the Steranko issues where he fights the Hulk. It really is an awesome collection. And I'd love to see these things be successful. So get out there. And uh, whether you're getting them on uh, someplace like an Amazon where you can get them cheaper, or if you're getting them from your local comic shops, which I believe... If my memory serves, the comic shops were able to get like an extra print or something. Yes. Maybe box them with a pair of white gloves so that you can yes. not get your fingerprints all over them. <laughs> Tell, they don't go away. I don't know what kind of paper they used on the back, but they don't go away. Well, one thing that's not going to go away is the last comic shop. We're actually going to stick around for a little bit longer after this. Because, again, we got to get through this part. Uh, it is uh, make sure that if you like our show, uh, go out to www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Find one of those podcasting services that is your preference. And rate, review, and subscribe to our show so you never miss another episode. And also, if you're out there, make sure that you look for those links to social media. Where can they find us on those platforms, Chad? At Last Comic Shop. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Find the weekly polls Jay's putting out there. Find those Golden Age covers that Andy sets up to help put you to bed at night. Find the general comic talk uh, and just fun stuff we like to to talk about comic-wise on Twitter and social media. And if you don't know where those are, you can always go back to home base at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com where they can find what else, Mr. J.A. We have links to our merch store. Get yourself a tote bag or mug or T-shirt. We're coming up on the holiday season again, so be on the lookout for our Christmas special Last Comic Shop shirt. Looks really nice in the red heather. Love those heathers. And it'll, it'll look great when you're wrestling with a giant python in the middle of the... Yeah, or crocodile. I love the crocodile ones. I think that sums up the, the verboseness sometimes of Don McGregor, where he was talking about the fact that there were, like, leeches in the crocodile's mouth. I was like, I don't need that detail. I'm, I'm more looking at the art. That's awesome that he's, like, fighting this crocodile. Just let me see the art, buddy. I don't need to know about the leeches. I hear you. And you can hear us. We don't want to be the last comic shop, so we encourage everybody to get out there. Find the stuff that uh, we're talking about today, whether that was Black Panther in the Penguin's Classic Collection, whether that was Captain America in the Penguin's Classic Collection, whether that was Doctor Strange, Shambhala, or Black Panther, A Nation Under Our Feet. Uh, All that and more waits for you at your local comic shop, so head on out and find one today. All right, now was the host with most Andy Larson. I'm Chad Smith and J.A. Scott, and we hope that you stick around right after this musical interlude. 
for more awesome last comic shop talk because again you know it's coming it's like those post credit sequences don't go to the bathroom yet folks That is the perfect sound. That's what I wanted, Andrew. I wanted that little jungle drum Wakanda magic because we're going to be talking about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. This is not like the movie, which had no end credit scene. So you waited through all those CGI credits. I'm proud of you. But you did have the mid-credits. You you got that one. What gives with that? Oh, the like, mid-credit. The mid-credit, it got me here. It got me right here. All right, I'm pointing to my Should heart. we caution audiences first before we go too far that spoilers, ahoy? Yeah, there are spoilers, but, I mean, I think that's just a public service announcement to say, like, hey, you don't have to stick around for the re- all the credits. There's nothing at the end except something saying Black Panther will return, which we knew. But that was BS. We comment all the time about how DC is pretending to be Marvel. That's Marvel pretending to be DC. How dare they? Not really pretending to be DC. Marvel pretending to be James Bond. Say, too, with the shaky ground that James Bond's been on for the last few years, you know, those tags are important. He's like, yeah, he might not be Bond. I don't know. (laughs) Well, we're not reviewing a James Bond film on today's podcast, so... uh, yeah, we're doing uh, uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. You knew it was coming. J.A., why don't you give us the who's it's that was in this movies? Okay, so this was directed by Ryan Coogler based on a screenplay by Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole. And I think it's good to shout those two out right at the front because they had to do a lot of rewriting. They had gone in with the script and then the unfortunate, untimely death of Chadwick Boseman meant that they had to rewrite the entire movie and what they were going to say and you know what they were going to film and it was not an easy process to and then we've got Letitia Wright playing uh, Shuri uh, Lupita Nyong'o returns Danae Guerrera Winston Duke Florence Kasumba Dominic Thorne Michaela Cole Tinoch Huerta as an incredible name or Martin Freeman Julia Louise Dreyfus the wonderful and ageless Angela Bessett. And uh, she didn't get top billing, but I'm going to give a shout out to Mabel Caldina, who played the wonderful and beautiful Namora. Oh, look at you. I don't know. Is, is it up in Elena Belova for you or, or is still she the queen? Uh, she's still the queen. Uh, Namora didn't get enough screen time. So we're waiting for a Namor movie. <laughs> I see. Well, I don't know if we'll get that, but we will get a 10 cents announcement. That is as follows. Uh, The movie starts off with finding out that T'Challa has passed away uh, of some sort of mysterious illness. Shuri's trying to save him by trying to uh, recreate synthetically the uh, sacred heart herb, which gives the Black Panther its strength. I completely forgot that Killmonger had destroyed all of that in the first movie. Regardless, T'Challa dies, and there's a little bit of a power vacuum. About a year later, the rest of the governments of the world are trying to get into Wakanda and steal their vibranium. And as a result of that, they start looking for it everywhere, and they find some underneath the water. Not really Eric's Namor and the folks of Atlantis. I mean, I mean, Tolokan. I mean, it's fine. No, it, it goes with the Mesoamerican thing that they got going on. But regardless... They come up to the surface and they're like, look, 
we do not want to be bothered by these folks on the surface. So Wakanda, you're going to help us or else there's going to be trouble. Well, uh, Shuri goes and looks for this scientist that developed vibranium detector. Turns out it was Riri Williams, a.k.a. Ironheart, a.k.a. one of my favorite characters in this movie. And eventually it all leads to, like, Namor coming to Wakanda, destroying it for a little bit, killing the queen, Shuri having to become the Black Panther, and uh, a big massive battle at sea. I mean, I, I, I could say more. But I think that's pretty much it. I don't know. I, I guess, Chad, uh, with your initial thoughts, did I miss anything? Did I miss anything that was important to you? No, I just think this movie, they had a really tough responsibility of responding to the loss of Chadwick Boseman. And boy, does this movie dive right into that. They make sure they addressed it, and they addressed it in a way that was was classy, and it was story driven but you could also tell there were real life motivations behind all the things they were doing and this movie really was a movie of grief and a movie of loss and a movie of of dealing and coping with all those things and that the anger that comes with it and you know the rage and the battles and the acceptance and all of those things and so yeah i i really enjoyed this for what ryan coogler and company had to do to make this movie work they made uh, Shuri look badass. They made uh, Angela Bassett's character be badass. Namor, even though they went a different direction with Namor than uh, a lot of comic fans might have been familiar with, I thought that all worked. Everything they needed to do, every box they needed to check in order to have a fulfilling story, they managed to do here. But... Uh, my whole big thing about it was while they managed to check all of those boxes, while they managed to handle everything, like I said, in a classy way, it wasn't like Star Wars where you're getting CGI Chadwick Boseman, you know, looking like he's coming out of a PlayStation 3 game. I will say for me, while this movie was very good, it never rose to the level of great in my mind. Like I thought the original Black Panther was a great movie. This one, just slightly lesser. So Jay, what, what say you? You nailed it right there because... You forget the level that Black Panther was when it came out. You know, it was unexpected how it blew up. They thought, okay, we're going to put out Black Panther and it'll be the run up and then we'll have Infinity War. And Black Panther went huge. It became a cultural moment and everything that happened afterwards to thread that needle with the death of Chadwick Boseman and, and rewriting the script and, and paying tribute. I think you nailed it. it they really did a really good job of that doesn't mean it was a great movie i think it was an okay movie but when you're coming off of something that was such a cultural touchstone i'm glad they didn't mess it up moving past that into the actual nuts and bolts and what worked and what didn't work i really liked how they based namor's character in sort of mesoamerica i i really loved that idea it was you know it was new it was different it was um originally atlantis is obviously a greek construct and right. i wasn't sure i was going to be down for that but it worked for me totally i think it worked too i i was amazed still didn't like his cgi wings on his feet i thought they were too big what? they didn't work for me they he needed to be a little bit smaller like he was no like, no no that was cool like a hummingbird I, was awesome listen ja dealing with the death of your leading star they handled that making somebody with little footy wings look cool nobody's gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Touche, sir. I thought the whole battle in the ocean was a bit overblown and... That, to me, was where I could see the writer's room. They had a bunch of storyboards. This will be a cool shot. The Dora Milaje will go over the side and they'll run down, but they'll be attached to these bungee poles, and they'll knock the people off who are climbing up. And it just felt like a bunch of different set pieces kind of cobbled together on a giant ship. I mean, if they're so advanced, these Atlantean... Talokanans or whatever, why don't they have submarines or, or other things that they can take out the, the Wakandan ship? Why doesn't the Wakandan ship have a submarine? I, why do they only have one They've ship? They've got whales! Why, All right. why, yeah, these ships massive, got- why is it this massive giant monitor-looking vessel and they all stand on top of it like it's a battleship from the 19... 19- what? Uh, all right. And I was not a big fan of Ironheart. I was like... Hey. Oh, come on. All right. All right. I got to jump in. So first off, listen. I don't understand MCU fans anymore. Oh, this is a good movie. Yeah, it wasn't great or whatever. I don't know what kind of expectations you guys have for movies just because they have Marvel characters that appear in them. Right? At the end of the day, they're movies. Were you entertained? Yes or no? Chad, were you entertained? My expectation? Under a three-hour runtime, buddy. (laughs) All right, okay, I'll give you that. J.A., were you fairly entertained? I would agree with Chad. I had to go to the bathroom, like, almost twice (laughs) during that movie. Was I entertained? Are you entertained? What I'm saying... It was entertaining. Was it as good as the first? No. And I don't think that's on the script so much. Chadwick Boseman, the reason why it was such a tragic loss is not just because he was the Black Panther and that movie was such a cultural touchstone. It was because he was a really, really good actor, too. And he could carry that movie. I'm not quite sure Letitia Wright has the same gravitas. And and why they had to spread the movie out among a lot of different characters She's a great actress in her own right, but I don't know if she raised the bar to the, the level that Chadwick both. Fair I enough. totally agree. Poor Andy's bursting at the seams. What I'm saying is I have officially decided something about MCU movies going forward. As I've mentioned on this show, oftentimes I don't view any sort of MCU movie as its own individual movie anymore. These are just long two to three hour parts of an ongoing narrative. They're like comic books nowadays. It's like I pick up a comic book. Sometimes I enjoy the comic book. Oftentimes, do I remember it, you know, months later? Probably not. But while I was reading it, it was fairly good. And it also, you know, continues to keep me buying comic books. I think that's what an MCU movie from now on is supposed to do. Three things. Number one, it's supposed to be entertaining, which this was. Number two, it's supposed to be engaging in terms of real human drama, which I think this had in spades. Unlike some DC movies that man have to manufacture drama, this had legitimate human drama that you felt. And number three, and most importantly, it has to keep that narrative moving forward. And I think this also did it in spades. This introduced Namor. It moved a lot of things forward with this storyline of folks trying to get vibranium, which I think is not only going to set up, you know, maybe potentially a Black Panther 3, but also the Wakandan TV series, also Thunderbolts, even uh, Captain America New World Order, right? So all those movies that are coming up, I think they're all going to deal with what's going on with folks wanting to try to get vibranium. And I think that's an engaging storyline. So from that perspective, 
I, I think this succeeds. I just think this movie does a great job capturing a feeling. There's definitely humanity to this. There's definitely that whole culture dealing with grief and loss. And you get these human connections, and including the surprise guest star pops up. Yes, I thought that was a great star turn and perfectly placed and, I, you know, shocking. Uh, and actually, I'm not going to ruin it, even though we're talking about spoilers. Everyone will know what we're talking about if they've seen it. And if they haven't seen it, it's it's this great dream sequence and it's powerful. It moves Shuri's evolution and journey along. It is an example of the things that I thought the movie did really good. I thought the action scenes and sort of the the basic plot was a bit paint by numbers. Every time they were dealing with loss and pain and growth, the movie was spot on. Oh, and Angela Bassett, too, when she has that line about how everything's been taken from her. And, like, you can feel it when she's having that argument with Okoye. And everybody loves Okoye. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, for, from Angela Bassett's perspective, yeah, that's true. And it's it's heartbreaking. But this movie, it captures those feelings so well. But at the same time, it doesn't have those moments that I feel like I'm going to be talking about next week. What about water bombs? Those water bombs were awesome. I love those things. <laughs> like, instead of using fire as an explosion, using water as an explosion, that has a lot of kinetic force to it. I liked it. And he yelled out Imperious Rex. What That, to me... <laughs> I mean, come on. All right, let's get to ratings because we only have a few more seconds. Finish up with your final thoughts during the ratings. So, yeah, what's our rating scale for this week? Well, my rating scale goes out to one of the most impressive sound effects in the movie. One out of four siren songs. Oh, yes. Oh, that was good. They didn't use that enough, though. And it, and it throws back to, again, the mermaids and everything like that. And it was it was shockingly creepy. Uh, but yeah, all right, siren songs. We'll go with Chad. How many siren songs are you giving it, buddy? I'm going to go 3.25. Like, this is a solid B-plus movie. Um, I do think it was too long. I, I want every movie maker out there to sit down and I want to lecture them about how you want to shoot for two hours. I could deal with like 220, but when you're you're getting close to three hours, that's just too long. It just engenders uh, anger in my blood. <laughs> also, uh, we didn't mention this, Andy. We actually saw this in 3D. And I don't know if that's because Avatar's coming out again, that now they're putting movies out in 3D. I don't think this movie needed to be in 3D. Cool underwater 3D sequences. They were value added, but like it wouldn't be a determining factor to see it in 3D or not. But uh, yeah, I agree with Jay that Letitia Wright maybe doesn't have the gravitas of a Chadwick Boseman, but who does? And the fact that Ryan Coogler and company were able to take this situation that they had to deal with and deal with it in such a classy way. Man, that that goes so far. And I loved the, the new elements of Namor. I love Namor with that hat, that dragon uh, headdress. Like that was bad. I want one of those hats. <laughs> but, uh, i'll be cosplaying as that walking around uh, oh that means I, we have I, to see you in green shorts no sir no thank I, you but no I, I i liked it and i think it does accomplish the things that andy's looking for in those mcu movies where it did move the plot along although i'm with jay i wanted just a, a tinge more from riri williams i liked her character but i feel like they're i don't know the whole movie the whole experience i feel like it was just missing that one last thing to push it over the top so 3.25 they did great with what they had to deal with but uh it, i don't think it's going to be something i rewatch again and again and again uh, i'm going to go next and i i i'm going to say it's the same thing 3.25 but i'm going to not say that that's a bad thing 
Honestly, any MCU movie that's above a three right now, it for me is a success. It means that people are going to come see it. It means that there's going to be more MCU movies. It's going to keep this gravy train rolling, which for me, at the end of the day, is the most important thing. And that might be, in a nutshell, uh, not the best thing to hear. But honestly, I just want to be entertained, and I just want to continue to get these kind of movies. Some things I really loved, I loved Namor. Oh my gosh, everything from his his story, from the fact that he said he was a mutant. Oh God, is that so great to hear in an MCU movie? Oh my God, to hear the word mutant, finally. That is so great. I like Shuri. I like Riri. Riri was great just simply because she still, I think she encapsulated that same energy that you got from early Robert Downey Jr. in the early Iron Man movies. And there were like those same touchstones, like her flying too high and pushing her original armor to the limits. You really feel like she is going to be the uh, torchbearer for Iron Man going forward, and she's a worthy legacy to that, which is awesome. I mean, yeah, she didn't need to be in it because at the end of the day, she still doesn't take her armor and she's like reset to zero by the end of the movie, but who cares? It was cool to have her around and she had some great lines. And yeah, I loved the battle scene between Okoye and Atuma on the bridge where he like pulls her forward. It's like straight out of wrestling. It was like, oh, snap! She hit that hard! She took that bump, and uh, it was it was great. It, yeah, there was a lot of... And honestly, like, this this movie did the best it could with the fact that Chadwick Boseman wasn't there. I mean, not only is Chadwick Boseman such a charismatic presence, a great actor, all these other things, but just think of it this way. Halfway through the Iron Man movies, Robert Downey Jr. suddenly passed away. Or Chris Evans. These are people that encapsulated those roles. Not only encapsulated, but were, like, the perfect casting. For those roles, you really couldn't think of anybody else to play those people after a while. And that's what you missed. That's what you lost with Chadwick Boseman, just from a narrative perspective. And so honestly, they did the best they could. So it's a 3.25. J.A. And that perfectly captures sort of Kevin Feige's, the risks he encounters going forward with the MCU because... You don't have Chris Evans anymore. You don't have Robert Dooney Jr. anymore. Uh, You're not going to have Thor at some point, though Chris Hemsworth has said that he's more than happy to do like 10 more Thor movies. I think he just loves doing them. So Aussie of him. I feel like I I threw a bit too much shade on Letitia Wright. It's not so much of her as an actress. I'd also think that Shuri as a character, you know, stuck in the lab doing all the tech stuff all the time. She was best when they pulled her out of that, and she was sort of forced to deal with tragic loss of her brother as a character. I think it's also 3.25 siren songs for all the reasons that everyone said. I'm not going to repeat. One thing I will call out that I liked, you know, interest of continuity in building out the Marvel Universe is Julia Louise Dreyfus showing up as Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Boy, does she have that thing, that spark that Robert Downey Jr. has. We're like, yes. she shows up she, on a scene, you know it's going to be great. She can just chew scenery, and it's brilliant. And that just speaks to the ability of Julia Louise Dreyfus as an actress. She can just chew it. I'm going to grab this, and I'm going to chew the crap out of it. And you're going to love every minute of it. And it's going to be <laughs> over the top, and you won't care. In the end of the day... I think this film is encapsulated by those last 10 minutes of it was perfect cinema to say goodbye to T'Challa slash 
Chadwick Boseman in an MCU role. And, it, and it's got some nice things coming up. There's some thoughts that maybe Harrison Ford, when he comes back to play Thunderbolt Ross, he will be the president that everybody's talking about in that scene where they're like, the president wants to destabilize Wakanda. That, oh, how about a president, Thunderbolt Ross? Get off my plane! <laughs> any case get off our podcast that's all the time we have for last comic shop this week make sure that you go out see black panther wakanda forever it got a 3.25 from all of us so it is worth your time in going to see and we'll be back next week with more great stuff totally did not know that the ai is played by trevor noah oh i didn't know that either if Ironheart doesn't have him as her uh, Jarvis, they're, they're missing the boat there, too. The last comic shop was a 2022 Black Angus production.